Well, um, Reverend Nicholson, uh, better known as Pastor Steve, is preaching to us this morning. And um, he's speaking on the last chapter of the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 28, uh, from verses 17 to 31. So can I invite you to open your Bibles and turn to that passage, and we'll read it together. The word of God where it says, Three days later he, that is Paul, called together the leaders of the Jews. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know the people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he had said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly, without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, Steve. We've come to the end of our journey uh, with Acts, and what a finale it is. Um, 28 chapters of action-packed adventure. When you stop and think about it, Paul was one of those blokes who never gave up. He was just, he was like the, uh, that, what is it, the, the uh, power bunny in the ad, you know, just keeps on, boom, 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 and keeps going, the energy, energizer bunny. The, the journey from Jerusalem to Rome had taken about six months, and it was an incredible adventure. It all began back in Acts 21, with a wrongful arrest, where Paul, to... Uh, find an avenue of hopeful justice was forced to appeal to Caesar and God had his purposes in that. 
He then survived a plot to kill him by being taken under armed escort overnight to an undisclosed destination and then he was whisked on a ship and was headed off for Rome. They went via Crete but uh, the weather changed and Paul sensed that it was not the right time to be continuing the journey but the captain of the boat said that he wanted to press on and get to Rome so they headed off and they were just going to another place for shelter when this mighty wind, a hurricane, took hold of them and for 14 days and nights they were just tossed to and fro and just were blown completely off course all around the Mediterranean and they wound up off the coast of Malta where they were shipwrecked, probably on some kind of shallow reef and then All of them, 276 people on board, were able to escape safely to shore on Malta. But you might think, okay, well, things are getting better now, but he's on on the shore and he's lighting a fire to keep warm and he puts his hand in to grab a branch to throw it on the fire and he gets bitten by a snake. Some of the locals consider, ah, we know... You know, fate's catching up with this guy now. He, he's, he's a murderer and he thinks he's got away with it. But he's not going to get away from the gods. And nothing happens to him. They look and they look and they look and he, he just keeps standing up and doesn't uh, get the shakes and shivers, doesn't fall down. And then they start almost worshipping him as if he's a god. So all of these things are happening to Paul. He then winters on Malta for three months to see out the worst of the weather. A a great gospel opportunity opens up on that island of Malta and they preach the gospel, healings are performed and many people come to faith. Then comes springtime, they get on board another ship Ironically, with the twin heads of Castor and Pollux, who are the, the, the sons of Zeus and who were the gods of seafarers, and he arrives safely in Rome, supposedly under the guise of foreign gods, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So this six-month journey finally came to an end. He arrives in Rome, and what a journey it's been! It's it's um, worthy of being written up in any kind of story, isn't it? What an incredible story! Paul had shown exceptional faith and courage throughout many dangers, toils, and snares. But this is not what Luke focuses on. If you look at the chapter that Ben read to us, that part of the chapter 17 through to the end, the focus is not on what Paul is going through or how he's feeling or what he's endured. It's all about the gospel and proclaiming the kingdom of God. If you open your Bibles with me, let's consider how Luke wraps this up. Let's open up to Acts 28. And there are Bibles on the back table if you don't have any. 
Although Paul obviously wasn't free to um, take a tour to Venice or enjoy a holiday somewhere in the Greek islands, he, he was under house arrest, but he had a fair amount of freedom. And no doubt he must have done many things during his two years stay in Rome because you might think he's in Rome to go on trial, but it's two years and the book of Acts closes before he actually gets to his trial. We don't actually know exactly what happened. It would appear that he was probably released and then for a short time was able to uh, exercise other ministry and write the letters of First and Second Timothy and Titus, what we call the pastoral epistles, and then was re-arrested and probably died under Nero in Rome a few years later. But basically, what we're told about Paul is how much testifying he did. Just have a look, verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, and he recounts what happened. So he only waits three days, and then he's already organising to call the leaders of the Jews together. And he testifies. Look, verse 23. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. That's what he was doing from morning till evening. So he gave this a fair crack, didn't he? And he didn't sugarcoat his message either. His final statement to the departing Jewish leaders was a hard saying from Isaiah. This was not very seeker-friendly of Paul or likely to help his cause as someone who's under arrest. But he says, The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, "You You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart, and this is the the issue at stake, isn't it? This people's heart has become calloused, hardened. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Notice the progression there? They've hardened their hearts, they've, they've closed their eyes and they've stopped their ears because we believe with the heart but to believe with the heart we have to hear the message and to hear the message we have to, as it were, see the truth, perceive the reality of the hope that we have in Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith and then that has to be taken on board. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the message of Christ. And that message must be received with the heart. And that's what the Jews weren't doing. That many of the Jews were closing their hearts to the gospel. They'd probably heard the message many times in synagogue services. Uh, It can be a bit like us today in church. We can hear the gospel many, many times. And it, it can be like water off a duck's back. And then one day, the Spirit of God touches our heart. Maybe we're vulnerable. 
Maybe it's a time in life where things are not going so well. Maybe it's a time where for the first time we really start to listen because we're losing confidence in ourselves. And God quickens his word to us and we start to hear from the heart the hope that we have in Jesus that God raised him from the dead. That he is a living Lord. He is not just a dead saviour. He's a living Lord who has taken the punishment on himself and he died in your place and mine. I'll never forget when I first came to hear the gospel. I'd grown up through church and Sunday school, being dutifully sent off to Sunday school. I remember being given my first Bible, a little blue RSV, little sort of pocket one, and took it home. I remember sitting under the dining room table, for some reason or other, reading my Bible and thinking, this is precious, this is valuable. And like any book, you start at the beginning. But I, I hit Leviticus and it just got terrible going. I, I, I just, I, I was about eight or nine. I, I was a bit of a reader, but I, I just struggled big time. And, you know, I always had a belief in God. I believed that he existed, but the message of who he is and what he'd done had never really sunk home to me. And then... You know, I was sent off to youth group and I think there's a few people here who can probably relate to my kind of story. And then when I was uh, in my early to mid-teens, I rebelled and said, I don't want to go to church, it's boring. I don't like this. Uh, Get me out of here. And I started playing football and going off with my mates and heading in another direction. But God who is rich in mercy, put his hand upon me. And I saw advertised when I was working at my father's service station a a message, a a poster in the window saying, live from the pages of the cross and the switchblade, Nicky Cruz, free, Festival Hall in Brisbane. It was 1975. And I took up the free offer. I'd, I'd read about Nicky Cruz. I thought it was an impressive story. Would you believe my local high school, the full gospel businessman, had come to it and they'd given out copies of The Cross and the Switchblade. That was in the days when you could do such things. And I read it. And I went along and God opened my heart and I really heard the gospel. For the first time... The whole link between Christmas and Easter clicked into place. It was like links in a chain, click. He was born to take the punishment for me in my place to die for my sins and rise again. And not just for me, but for anyone who will believe in his name. Why haven't I heard this before? And I'd been arrested for shoplifting, I'd been going in the wrong direction and I I didn't need convincing that I was a sinner. I knew that I'd fallen short. But the message of the gospel for the first time came into my heart. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that 
God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. They will listen. Where many of the Jews did not listen. Remember when when Saul was the witness at the stoning of Stephen? Remember what the Jews did who accused him? They stopped their ears, literally put their hands over their ears against Stephen's words and rushed upon him with rocks and started stoning him. So they literally did what Isaiah had predicted, that they'd, they'd shut their ears, stopped their ears, so that they wouldn't hear the message of the gospel. But some did. Some did. And for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He could hardly go out and round them up, could he? Because he's under house arrest. But, you know, he must have had minions out doing, you know, the rounding up work, bringing them along, helpers. And he, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the last phrase in the book of Acts is without in hindrance. Without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance. This is the note that Luke finishes the book of Acts on. The gospel cannot be chained up. It cannot be bound. Paul might be bound. He might be placed under house arrest. He might be going off to face trial before Caesar, he might ultimately be beheaded. But the gospel is not chained. The gospel is unstoppable. The gospel will advance because God has promised it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles and they will listen to the ends of the earth. So in his commentary on Acts, James Montgomery Boyce says this, No matter how fascinating we may find the histories of Peter, Philip, Paul or any of those strong personalities who dominate the book, the subject of Luke's narrative is not the lives of these servants of God but the gospel. Luke is concerned with how the gospel grew and expanded. How the gospel grew and expanded. And shouldn't this be the focus of our lives too? The Lord isn't going to ask us about how much we enjoyed our travels and holidays, whether to Venice or the Greek islands or Alaska or wherever, our cruises. He isn't going to ask whether we were comfortable enough in life. Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, was obsessed and I use that word advisedly, obsessed with loving and serving the Father, only doing those things that pleased him. I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, he said. And this is the pattern Paul imitated. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So as Jesus lived for the glory of the Father... 
Paul lived for the glory of Christ. And he's saying, we too should live for the glory of Christ. The Spirit fills his people so that we might be filled with the magnificence and the wonder and the sense of gratitude for the glory of God in the gospel. The hope of the gospel. That's the message that Paul is proclaiming. That's the message that that he was willing to die for. He said, I'm willing to go to Jerusalem and, and not just be beaten, but also to die for the gospel. And he wound up in Rome where he did die for the gospel. And this follows through into caring about the cause of global missions too. It isn't just about the gospel itself. It's the implications of the gospel throughout the world. When people have a heart for the Lord and a desire to know him and to live for him, they have a heart and ears that are open and eyes that are scanning and looking for the magnificent works of the gospel. Seeing the work of the gospel around the globe. Discovering what's happening amongst people overseas and rejoicing and praying and, and, and joining in whether behind the scenes or up front, whatever we can, to help people to hear the message of Christ. So the history of Christianity is of interest to us as well. The great works of Christ in China, the great works of Christ in Africa, you know, the great works of Christ in Pakistan. There are Pakistanis, dominant Muslim country, coming to know Jesus. If you ever get a chance, read the Korean Pentecost. Read about the history of the church in Korea. They were fiercely anti-gospel. And then through some Presbyterian missionaries who went and who laboured and laboured and laboured, preaching Christ, translating the scriptures, gradually one came and then another and then a few more and now Korea is one of the most Christian nations on earth. They are sending out missionaries all over the globe. It's extraordinary. The great works of the gospel and they will listen. The Gentiles will listen. So down through the centuries, God's raised up other people like Paul to testify of the hope of the resurrection. From amongst our own congregation, we can think of the Pools who went to South Sudan, the Davies who went to Niger. We can think of Quentin and Ashley who are in the Middle East right now for the hope of the gospel, the hope of the resurrection, that the Gentiles will listen. I reckon This passage here in Acts must be a great encouragement to Quentin and Ashley. I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. I hope Quentin and Ashley can hold on to this in the middle of the difficult days. Or you might be patiently trying to witness to one of your friends or co-workers Maybe a neighbour across the fence and they show no interest. Maybe it's a hardened family member and you've been praying for them and praying for them. Well, hold on to the hope of the gospel. That he who promised is faithful. He's begun a good work and he's going to complete it. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
People are listening and will listen. Hearts are being opened. The gospel is going out and the message is advancing today. If you like, we're living in Acts 29. The book of Acts finishes at 28, but we're carrying the baton. To be honest, it wouldn't be 29. We're probably about chapter, I don't know, 1,000 and something compared with, with Acts 28. But you know what I mean. So in so many ways, Acts sets the pattern for world mission. Christ-focused and people-focused. Unifying but divisive. Generating both gospel opportunities and gospel opposition. The good news seems to bring out both the best and the worst in people. Some people stop their ears. Other people say, why was I never told this before? But overall, the gospel grows. The gospel is advancing. And so we read in verse 14, and so we came to Rome. Luke is highlighting this for a reason. And so we came to Rome. Think of Acts 1.8, the very first chapter. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul had just journeyed from Jerusalem to Rome, the capital of the known world. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul, Acts 23, and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And Acts 28 verse 14 says, And so we came to Rome. And it ends off with, For two whole years Paul's in Rome, in his own rented house, welcoming all who came to see him. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. God has done an amazing thing. And Malta got evangelised en route. And a shipload of, of, of people saw a God who was able to take people who couldn't even swim and get 276 of them to safety on, on, on the beach. Because the Lord who promised is faithful and he'd appeared to Paul and said, as long as everybody stays on board, not a hair of your head will perish. No one will die. God is doing an amazing work. We ought to have confidence in our risen Christ. We ought to have confidence that God is on the throne, that he is subduing peoples and territories to himself, that, he, that his all-conquering, all-powerful word is ringing out to the ends of the earth, that no weapon formed against us can prosper. Or need be feared. We can trust the Lord to bring about his plans and purposes. Like David, we can live our lives and when we've served God in our generation, we can fall asleep. We can fall asleep in the hope of the gospel. Fall asleep in the sense of dying. When we die, it's like we're lying in our beds awaiting the resurrection morning. Trusting that God, even while we're deceased, is able to resurrect our dust, and make us stand before him and see him and behold him. This is the hope 
of the gospel. So it isn't just about overseas mission or, or adopt a block here in King's Meadows. As important as these things are, it, it's about the totality of our lives, living our lives as witnesses, about Christ's lordship over everything, Christ being in our head and in our understanding, Christ being in our hands and in our serving, in our feet and in our walking, our moving. Salvation being proclaimed to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This is what God is doing. And this is where Acts 28 focuses, not on Paul, but on the gospel. God's greatest interest is how he can, can utilise our lives in ways that magnify his name, that build others up in the knowledge and love of Christ. And sometimes that's, that's a joyful privilege to partake in and sometimes it's an absolute pain. Sometimes it costs us dearly. But either way, God is doing his work and building his church. We ought not to forget Israel and the Jews. We should be giving thanks that the prophets who speak so powerfully to us through the scriptures were Jews. The apostles, the message of Christ that we've heard about, these first witnesses were Jews. And we, we, so we should have a heart of thankfulness and prayer towards the Jews as well as toward the Gentiles. We should be able to say, thank you, Lord, for Israel. And I pray that this hardening in part that's come upon Israel will soon pass. And, but I know that you sovereignly brought this hardening in part upon Israel so that the message might spread way beyond them and that people like me would be saved. So thank you, Lord. But Lord, I pray, may they not perish in their unbelief. May they turn to you and realise the message that, they, that the Spirit of Christ in them was prophesying when they spoke about the things yet to come, things that angels long to look into. These are the things that are so encouraging to us. This is the hope of the gospel and they will listen. This must be a great comfort, not only to Quentin and Ashley, but to us, as we go out with Adopt a Block. But people will listen. Matt just reminded us a little bit this morning. There's a few links here and there. Someone at Youngtown grew up in Innocent Street. Their parents still live there. They're receiving bread. Who knows? Maybe they will listen. And the Lord will open their hearts and they will turn and be saved. So what about us? If this gospel is unstoppable, then our challenge is to really believe that. To so hook in to this unstoppable God with an unstoppable gospel so that we become unstoppable people. We, we become people possessed by a living hope. People who, who no matter what happens still believe, you know, like Paul, where he, he talked about, you know, we, we are 
um, persecuted, but not forsaken. We, we're struck down, but you know, bearing about in our bodies the suffering of Christ, but also bearing in our bodies the resurrection of Christ and the hope of the Lord. So, for Christ's love compels us, said Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. When that hope possesses us and we have the confidence that even though we die, yet shall we live, we'll be unstoppable. Unstoppable. Hebrews explains the reason for Paul and Luke's confidence in this hope of the gospel. And I'll just close with these few verses from Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we, we do not want to throw away our confidence. We, we dare to believe that it will be richly rewarded. Not that we'll be rewarded because we're so nice and cool and good but that you will honour your word, that you will keep your promises, you will build your church, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We thank you for that confidence we have that they will listen. Lord, we're here. So many among us here today, hopefully all of us, Lord, have really listened and heard from our heart and are possessed by a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit might so deeply touch us and imbue our affections and our desires that everything that we do in life will be subordinated to loving and serving you. That we would be willing to pay the price because you have paid that ultimate sacrifice for us that we would go and do likewise out of gratitude, that we would give so freely because we've freely received, that we would take our stand on this gospel, that we'd build our lives on the rock of this gospel and know that though the storms and the wind come against us, we will not be moved. 
We might lose some tiles. We might have some broken windows. We might have some minor flooding. But the house will stand. That you will not sweep us away in the flood of judgment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You're our hope. You're our rock. You're our redeemer. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.